What's up, Lions of Liberty fans? You can now support this show on Patreon and get exclusive access to bonus audio and video content, including Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, bonus segments with guests, and so much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land here on the Lions of Liberty podcast, your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Hey, 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 everybody. This is Brian McWilliams, and this is Electric Liberty Land, episode number 92, meaning that you can find all the show notes for today's episode at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL92. Now, today's episode, I want to talk about the Kavanaugh stuff just a bit. (laughs) Like I said last episode, I don't really want to be talking about this again. Uh, I'm sure you guys are sick about hearing of it, but there's really, I mean, there's nothing that's dominated the news cycle like this for quite some time. And while I've found some other things to talk about, thank God, uh, I do have to address this because obviously we just had the hearing. We just heard from Kavanaugh himself. We just heard from Dr. Ford herself. And there's, I want to talk a little bit about the hearing and I want to talk a little bit about the responses that I'm seeing. Well, really more so about the responses, but I figure you guys probably want to hear at least a little bit what I actually think about this. So with that in mind, let's get into it. And by the way, we'll see how long this episode goes. It may be a little bit shorter than uh, per usual because of, uh, like I said, just not that much good stuff to draw from to talk about. And um, realize it was a good opportunity I should have done an, uh, an AMA portion. That's what I'll do next time. But uh, but also, I just had a had a long, long few days leading into this. So um, for my own sake, for my own <laughs> my own health and well being, might take a little bit shorter today. Anyway, so overall thoughts after watching it, and I didn't watch every minute of it. I wasn't riveted to the screen. I know so many people were absolutely invested in what was going on this hearing. I understand that it, it did have a, a, a definite attraction as far as just watching something so raw happen. And I don't say that as in I, I completely believe both of them um, in every single thing that they said. I'm sure both sides were glazing over quite a bit. I'm sure both sides were picking and choosing what they wanted to emphasize versus de-emphasize. Um, but overall, I mean, these are this is a, a crazy allocation. Nobody has any idea whether or not it's true or false. And I, you know, I think the GOP did a good job in bringing in this outside sex prosecutor and a woman at that because I already saw all these people preemptively saying. Oh my God, this committee of white men is going to judge this woman. How dare they? So good move, GOP, bringing in a female prosecutor to do the questioning. And I, and I thought she did a good job. I mean, it was adequate as far as I can tell, uh, not being a, a lawyer myself. And also she didn't attack her viciously, which would have been a whole nother thing because you do have a situation where the GOP can't go after this this woman with fangs and, and claws bared. That's just not going to happen. It would be far too damaging to to what they're trying to accomplish. And also with the midterms coming up, would definitely come back to haunt them. But, you know, I think she struck a good chord of kind of being in between just asking questions that needed to be asked when it was when it was her turn to um, 
to push for a little bit more depth in the hearing. Now, that being said, what I did see and what I've read and, and seen clips of from from uh, Dr. Ford, she did seem pretty believable to me. She seemed fairly authentic. Um, but the issues therein is that none of this testimony provided any more clarity as far as anything that she remembered. And in fact, it added a whole bunch more questions into it. Like, you know, one of the things that came up during the questioning was talking about when these notes came out. And I'm drawing some of this, by the way, from the document that was released, the Rachel Mitchell, who's the prosecutor, she had her report that I guess, you know, Washington Post and NBC, they all got their hands on. So I'm drawing a lot from that. And in her report, she basically says, I wouldn't prosecute this. And I don't think you can prosecute it because it just boils down to he said, she said. And and a lot of what I'm drawing from this is, is from this document. And so what I was just talking about, but a couple of the things that came up is just, again, reiterating that this woman has a heart-wrenching, if it's to be believed, story about sexual abuse and, and sexual assault at the hands of of Kavanaugh and this other boy who she says is Mark Judge. The issue arises, though, and was re-emphasized during this hearing is that they she has literally nobody to corroborate. She has no one else that can back up any part of the story. Her best friend, who she says was there, says she wasn't there and she was never heard of this party. Mark Judge says it never happened. The other two people she cites that uh, being there, they say it never happened. She can't remember how she left the party. She can't remember how she got to the party. And she's alleging that she you know, ran out of this house after locking herself in the bathroom for uh, who knows how long while her best friend's in the house. She runs out of the house, doesn't stop to get her best friend, leaves her, <laughs> leaves her behind with the rapists, uh, but gets out of there uh, after specifically saying, by the way, that she had exactly one beer at the party. Very, very specific memory, right? Uh, considering how much she doesn't remember. But, you know, whatever. Memory is a funny thing. But races out of the house after getting a ride home or, or finds her way home, but again, doesn't remember how. And she cites that from this general location the party was supposed to happen at to her house, it is 20 miles. That is the actual distance. As the crow flies, as was what's the, the phrase that she used in this actual report? As the crow flies, 20 miles for her to get home. Did she hitchhike? Because that seems like a strange thing for a young girl of 15 who's just been uh, sexually assaulted to do is go out and try to hitchhike her way home. Did she call a taxi? If so, is before cell phones, did she use a house phone? You know, how did this happen? And why did she then still never not tell her friend about it? Hey, why'd you leave the party early last night? Uh, you know, Carrie or whatever Dr. Ford's first name is. I can't remember. Uh, well, well, I was, uh, you know, just, just feeling ill. You know, you, you wouldn't say something. So anyway, there was that. There was another thing that came up in regards to who paid for the polygraph test, why, and which was her lawyer, uh, the Democratic lawyers specifically, which when she said this thing happened, sent this letter, rather than going through the, the traditional steps, which is to talk to another level of psychotherapist to try to draw more details out, to go deeper, they basically said, no, nope, we're going to get you a polygraph and uh, provide you lawyers. And if you listen to John Odermatt's Felony Friday episode about polygraphs, you know those are all completely worthless anyway <coughs> pardon me and are and that's why they're inadmissible in courts of law and you know so it just comes down to going okay well it seems like a lot of steps were skipped 
It seems like a lot of questions need to be asked about the motivations behind this and why you didn't take these steps. If you were truly traumatized, why didn't you actually seek the proper help to cut this memory out instead of just lawyering up and and jumping on this polygraph machine and then doing nothing else? And then the other thing is she remembers this. She says this memory was retrieved during a therapy session with her uh, or whoever therapist was back in 2012. She told her husband that she had recalled a physical assault, not a sexual assault. Uh, initially, and this was confirmed as the same accounts. And then she said she, again, you know, it came up in 2013. But at the, both times, she never mentions the name of the accuser. She never uh, could w- could draw his name back up. She's just mentioning that she was sexually assaulted as a, as a high schooler. And she's referring back to her notes, she says, when she spoke with the Democrats, when she sent this letter, and she's talking to these lawyers. She said, well, I was using my notes from the therapy sessions, notes that she now says that she can't find, <laughs> very coincidentally, and notes that she would not provide to the committee. I mean, if you're being completely honest, you got Brett Cabot over here pulling out his his goddamn high school calendars that he made, you know, drawn in crayon or whatever the hell they were. These, you know, these ridiculously detailed anal calendars he kept as a as a child. Meanwhile, this woman doesn't have the notes that she was she was reading off of to make this allegation, to tell the Democrats about this allegation. She can't provide these notes to the committee. Now, I can understand that on the level of, OK, just like with Kavanaugh, not wanting this, you know, to go into a whole new FBI investigation into his life because God knows what they're going to pull up. Kind of like this Mueller thing. They put your life under a microscope. I can understand why Dr. Ford would say, OK. If I turn over these notes, there's probably a lot of other shit in there that's pretty fucked. And in truth, that might give the Republicans the ammo they need to say, well, this girl is just crazy. I mean, honestly, how many other allegations are in those therapy notes is the question that I kind of kind of thought when I heard this, that she refuses to turn these notes over. What else is in there that would be so damaging to her that she would refuse to turn them over? Even just that small portion. You know, if they ask for just that day worth of notes, what else is in those notes? And again, I have, there's no way for me to know. <laughs> okay, so let's move over to the Kavanaugh stuff. But overall, I thought she was fairly believable. Um, oh, the, my favorite part, though, of the whole thing, and this is what got me in trouble with my wife, by the way, <laughs> my wonderful wife. Um, and we talked a little bit about this on our Degenerate Gamblers uh, show. Uh, or no, what is it? Well, no, sorry, our Conspiracy Corner show that I recorded with Rico and Mark for our, uh, our pride, our patrons-only pride, which you guys should join. But I brought this up during the hearing because, again, I got in trouble and my wife left the house in a huff. And it's just this. While Dr. Ford's testifying, she remembers saying to her husband when she's talking about this, you know, Brett Kavanaugh, at one point when she's talking about this uh, this assault that happened, saying that she was, she, you know, a man had sexually assaulted her that one day could be a, a powerful uh, judge or maybe even on the Supreme Court. Actually, for your benefit, uh, for my benefit, too, I brought up the exact statement. Here's the exact statement from the testimony. Quote, over the years, I told very, very few friends that I had this traumatic experience. I told my husband before we were married that I had experienced a sexual assault. I had never told the details to everybody or to anyone, the specific details, until May 2012 during a couple's counseling session. The reason this came up in counseling is that my husband and I had completed a very extensive, very long remodel of our home. (laughs) I I don't know. I I don't remember this part. And I insisted on a second front door, an idea that he and others had disagreed with and could not understand. 
In explaining why I wanted a second front door, I began to describe the assault in detail. I recall saying that the boy who assaulted me could someday be on the U.S. Supreme Court and spoke about a, a bit about his background at an elitist all-boys school in Vesada, Maryland. Okay, so that is what she is saying she specifically said during this counseling session. I just find it a little fucking hard to believe that during this counseling session, out of the middle of nowhere, you just happen to be like, yeah, I knew this dude and, uh, you know, this kid. And I just, and, you know, he could one day be a U.S. Uh, Supreme Court judge or justice. I, uh, fucking really? I mean, are you fucking kidding me with this shit? What an amazing amount of foresight you have. Goddamn Nostradamus in here. Pulling this shit out of her ass. What else is going to happen, Dr. Ford? What else can we look forward to? What's going to happen with Elon Musk? Is he going to get to space? Are we going to be living on Mars? I got to know. Because clearly, you've got an amazing talent for predicting the future. I mean, that, that okay. Anyway, that was the most ridiculous thing in her, in her testimony to me. Um, and again, it got me in trouble because I just started shaking my head and laughing when she said it. But... <laughs> All right, let's move on to to the Kavanaugh stuff. I don't really have as much to talk about for Kavanaugh. He again, the guy was clearly skipping over some information, talking about his drinking uh, when he was when they were asking about the FBI probe. You know, don't you think they should look into his FBI probe? And he wouldn't. He danced around the answer like four times, which you know, understandably, like I was saying earlier, why would you? You, you look at this Mueller bullshit with Trump digging up all sorts of crap, keep going on and on and on and on. Why would anybody want to do that? And also, why would they try to get they're trying to get him to to accept it himself and to say yes, they should do it? Why would you do that? I mean, in a court of law, you don't condemn yourself. You're not supposed to, you know, you could you could plead the fifth. So why in the world would he go in there and be like, yep, bring it on. FBI investigate me. Just dumb. Just dumb. But and also the things about, you know, just getting into some of the issues with his, his dates and the calendar and the yearbook and all that kind of stuff is a little bit goofy, but at the same time, and this is what I want to talk about more with Kavanaugh, I, you know, cause I do, again, I felt like he was also very believable. I, I thought he was very authentic, but the reactions to this, cause you didn't see the visceral reactions, the you know, aggressive reactions to Dr. Ford's testimony, because clearly you can't do that. You can't viciously go after this woman who's testifying out quote unquote, her life experience. Um, in this courtroom. Meanwhile, Kavanaugh's just open field. You know, it's like anybody wants to take a shot at him, go for it. And that's what is driving me nuts a little bit is, is the reactions to this I've seen on Twitter, uh, which people, you know, during the, the court cases or during the hearing, people are calling him a blubbering bitch baby. And I just think if you ever, ever wrote that about a woman testifying, you would get your ass ripped about. That's where the left would take their, Take their uh, their trolls. They'd start sending letters to your employer and trying to get you fucking fired. That's what would end up happening if you ever dared to comment in that way. But, you know, as long as it's a man, it's a man of privilege, right? Oh, well, this guy, you know, fuck him, fuck his family. Uh, he's crying during this hearing. And, and by the way, if somebody came after me and was trying to destroy my life and I felt I was authentically innocent, I might be crying. And also, you know, the other reaction people had was saying that he's Oh, God, he's so angry. He doesn't have the temperament to be on the Supreme Court. What, what, what are you watching? What do you think is happening here? This is a man who spent his entire life, as he kept reminding us, at the highest levels of government, which, by the way, fuck him for that. But 
spends entire life at the highest levels of government. And now, as this, you know, a beautiful wife, beautiful family, he's now at the pinnacle of what could be a career for somebody in law. And you've got this allegation, which has zero people that can corroborate it. It is zero witnesses. And even the witness, even the woman that's alleging this can't remember everything that's going on in the event herself, let alone have anybody else to, to back her up. But because of this one woman, you are now having your entire life put on display. You have people telling your wife and your child that you're a rapist. You have now, I mean, I, like, even if he gets into the courtroom, this is something that's never going to go away. Unless it's completely proven and somebody comes out and says, I was there. Here's what happened. Here's the, you know, I can prove it without a shadow of a doubt. This is always going to be there in his life. That makes me want to cry. The fact that this can happen in the way that it's happened to me makes me want to fucking cry. Makes me angry. So, yeah, I can understand if he gets a little bit pissed off. And, I, and, and that is the way, exact way I would react, by the way. I would be furious that this was happening. If you listen to my le- goddamn fucking plane, this stupid goddamn biplane is driving around overhead in circles, and I just want to get out my NA aircraft gun like Kim Jong-un and shoot that bitch out of the air. So loud. You could hear it. I'm sure it'll be on the recording. And if it doesn't, I'll just sound like a crazy person. A crazy person not fit to be on a libertarian podcast because of my temperament. All right. Anyway, get back to it. But yeah, if somebody accused me of this, I mean, look, I've been accused of far less. And, and I, that's the way I've been. If somebody was like, hey, man, you took my gummy bears. I'd be like, the fuck I did. You get out of here. So I mean, you can understand if the guy's a little upset that his entire career, his entire life is being turned upside down because of an allegation, which he strenuously denies, has always denied and continues to deny. And I'm sorry. Without any sort of uh, facts to back it up, like the prosecutor said, this is a done deal. You can't prosecute it. And I don't care how big an FBI investigation is into this. When you have everybody that was cited as there saying they weren't there, the party never happened, and you have the only two people that would possibly have been actively involved have completely different stories. One says, I wasn't there. I don't remember any of it. I can't, you know, I I can't prove it because I don't remember the exact date, coincidentally, because there is no exact date. But I can provide you all these other dates that I was busy. And it's just, it is absurd. It's absurd that this is going on. And the fallout, though, like I'm saying, the reactions. I'm talking to a buddy of mine at the bar the other day. And it was driving me up the wall because we're talking about this. And, and again, my, my point of view is just that, look, it's a he said, she said, it's, that's it. It's a done deal. This is over. The man should be confirmed. Based upon what we know, he should be confirmed. Because you can't simply keep a man out of office because of this allegation. And, of course, he brought up the idiotic left talking point that, oh, this is a job interview. Which, by the way. Okay, yes, it is a job interview, but actually, at the same time, it's a job interview that's being tried in public, right, in front of the entire nation. And while people say that they try to excuse it as like, that, well, this is okay to do, it's not okay to do. Even if it was a job interview, it's not okay if you're on the left to take somebody's quote that they said uh, out of context or take some picture of somebody uh, standing at a uh, a parade that happened to have a guy in a in a Trump hat or next to somebody and send it to their employer to try to get them fired. 
That's not okay either. And if anybody did this, if you were in, just imagine how stupid this argument is. If you were actually in a job interview type of scenario and somebody walked into you and said, this guy raped me. Or if you're a chick said, hey, this gal grabbed my dick, said that she'd suck me off in the bathroom if I uh, walked away from this job interview. How fucked is that? And you were like, that never happened. That's complete horseshit. That never happened. And the guy goes, oh, well, you know what? It's, uh, I don't know. Can't, you know, it's a he said, she said. I guess uh, you don't get the job. You'd be totally cool with that because it's, yeah, man, it's just a job interview, right? Totally okay to fuck somebody in the ass in a job interview. Totally okay to have unsubstantiated evidence uh, as long as it's just a job interview. Never mind that it happens to be a job interview for one of the most powerful positions in the world uh, that can actually literally dictate, which again is too much power, but can dictate how people live their lives, what powers the government wields, what, which one of our liberties they get to take away from us. So a little more than just a job interview. Actually, I don't even know if my buddy said that. I think uh, I just, that might have just been reading online. But one of the things my buddy did say, which just was driving me absolutely nuts, and he does listen to this show sometimes, so we'll see if he listens in <laughs> to see if I talk about this. But one of the things that was driving me nuts is that he kept telling me that Kavanaugh doesn't deserve to be in. Because he, he agreed, because you can't not agree with it. He did agree that it's a he said, she said. And that there's no evidence. There's no evidence for it at all. There's the, you, can't, you can't say the man can't have the job because he's a rapist, because you don't know. You don't know what the truth is. So he goes, yeah, but he's a liar. And I said, okay, <laughs> how is he a liar? And I said, again, none of what she is saying can be backed up by testimony, by witnesses, by evidence, by the people she says were there. None of it. Absolutely none of it. So he goes, yeah, but he was lying about his yearbook stuff. You know, that devil's triangle thing and this other thing. And And that was it. That was what he was basing his entire argument about, that Kavanaugh was a liar because of things he wrote in a yearbook when he was 16, 17, 18, whatever it was, before he graduated high school. A couple dumb phrases between him and his buddies that were written in a yearbook. That's why this man should not be on the Supreme Court. And God knows, man, I've been friends with this guy for a while. He's one of my best friends. Uh, happens to be a rabid liberal. But, you know, we get here in California, we we can put that behind us. <laughs> when drinking, when, when drinking is, is more important. That's why. But that's, that's his whole reasoning. And that's what's just pissing me off about this reaction. The left is just manic. Manic, man. And, like, I, I'm looking at, Cory Booker and Kamala Harris. And this is where the title of the episode comes from, by the way. I've already spent way too much time that I wanted to on this. God damn it. This stupid topic. So you got Cory Booker and Kamala Harris, both grandstanding assholes of the finest degree, who are both trying to go, you know, they're both going to run for president. They both stand up and, and march out, right? And this is, of course, after uh, Cory Booker spends five minutes kissing Dr. Ford's ass, asks zero questions. But by the way, all the Democrats, zero questions. Just, just, oh yeah, um, you're so brave. You're the best. You are the bravest and the bestest. You are a goddess walking among men who happens to have no one that could back up any of her claims, but you are this amazing, amazing woman. I mean, that's it for five minutes for Cory Booker. But then during Kavanaugh, this is what I just can't believe. 
The guy gets up along with Kamala Harris and marches out of the testimony. Like he's making some grand fucking statement by getting up and getting out of there. Do you know what the statement is that he made? The statement is, I don't give a fuck about my actual duties as a senator. Because isn't your job to be there? Isn't that the one thing you're supposed to do is listen to the testimony? If you're not going to listen to it, then why the fuck does your opinion matter? You shouldn't get a vote. You shouldn't get a say. If you're going to stand up and grandstand and march out, America's greatest showman. Do we have a remake? Can we get Hugh Jackman in here? Hugh, you've been replaced. Cory Booker, put on the fancy red fucking coat, man, to lead your bullshit circus. You're a goddamn clown. I mean, seriously. If you're not going to listen to the whole thing, why are you there in the first place? You don't get to have an opinion if you're going to deliberately stand up and leave at a preordained position. You know, you have no doubt in your mind. This is all pre-calculated, pre-agreed. But it's like, okay, it's like being a movie reviewer. And you go, oh, I, uh, I, I, that was just a terrible film, horribly constructed, no payoff at all. I found nothing of value in it. Oh, yeah, how much did you watch? About six minutes. Okay, cool. So your opinion doesn't matter. You don't get to have a review. You don't get to have an opinion. And that's, I, I hate to say it, that's my opinion of a lot of the left's positions, by the way. The left loves to have opinions on shit that they don't understand because they like to leave halfway through the conversation and they have zero interest in anything that's taken place after that. They don't care what point you're trying to make because once you say anything that they don't like, they're going to make a big show about saying, well, fuck it. I don't care. I don't want to hear the rest. That's not the way politics should be handled. That's not the way personal conflicts or conversations should be handled. That's not the way anything in life should be handled. So fuck Cory Booker, America's greatest showman and America's most self-involved politician. May an elephant stop on his balls. We don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. Those epic words from Archilochus can sum up your ability to succeed or fail in business. I want to recommend Conversation Mat Time to our listeners as a way to hone your one-on-one conversation skills in a role-playing session that can help take you to the next level. During 25-minute sessions, you'll work through the best way to approach that raise, that interview, or that relationship with a practice professional that will provide the confidence and experience you need to get paid what you're worth or take that interpersonal risk you've never been able to conquer. Just like in jiu-jitsu, the difference between a novice and a black belt is mat time train to win visit conversationmattime.com and take advantage of a free 15-minute consultation just for listeners of this show all right we are back guys welcome back to electric liberty land episode number 92 find all the show notes as always at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ell92 now we just got off kavanaugh stuff hopefully for good hopefully we never have to talk about it ever again except to say that he either got confirmed or didn't, and uh, and move on with our lives. So anyway, but we do have to talk about something that is tangentially related because Minnesota Democrat, Minnesota, the state I'll be visiting this this upcoming weekend <laughs> for their for their homecoming, where my wife went, go Gophers. Uh, Keith Ellison, who is uh, he was under fire because one of his ex girlfriends had alleged that he had abused her, pulled her out of bed, and um, was just overall. Fairly uh, shitty to her. 
pretty shitty. Went to the doctor, told friends she has medical records that she had submitted to this investigation that was ran by the Democrats, who, of course, hired some of their lawyers to uh, to do this, quote-unquote, sham investigation, uh, according to Doug Wardlow, who is the Republican challenger to Ellison upcoming. But she says that she was abused, that she had to go to the doctor. She told friends, several friends, who reported being told. And during the investigation, they said that this was credible. The attorney who investigated says that she was unwavering in her claim that the alleged physical altercation occurred, found credibility in her specificity, and from accounts from several friends who reported being told about the incident months after it allegedly happened. Meanwhile, they said Ellison was credible in, in, in his denial and truly seemed not to recall the incident ever happening, which sounds fairly familiar to me, doesn't it? I mean, wow. So you've got a woman who alleges that some abuse happened, physical abuse happened, and recently, by the way, by an adult, not by uh, someone who was arguably on the cusp of being an adult, but is still somewhat of a child. But no, an adult alleges that this incident happened, actually has people that she told about it a couple months afterwards that will say, yes, we can back this up. We did hear about this happening. She went to the doctor, showed the doctor her bruises, and has documented evidence of going to that physician and getting her medical reports and has those records, which she provided provides to the lawyer. And also says she has a video of the event, which she refuses to release, and they don't know why. And the lawyer says that because of Ellison saying that he doesn't remember it and denying it so stridently, and because she won't release the video of the event, that's why she finds that there is nothing to worry about and that you know we should all just move on and nothing to see here, folks. All good. It's just... It's so interesting. While this Kavanaugh thing is going on, you believe all women that we have a very, very similar situation, arguably an even more believable situation by far because of the witnesses at, or the uh, not the witnesses, but the women that she told and the medical evidence. But a much more credible, to use the phrase, allegation against a sitting Democratic representative and yet being completely ignored. The Democrats will rail against the machine and cry all day about how we must believe this woman and how this should disqualify Senator Kavanaugh from this job interview. Meanwhile, isn't this man Ellison up for his job interview? Isn't he running for a public office at the moment? Shouldn't there be an FBI investigation into this? It certainly seems so. It certainly seems like the Democrats shouldn't just hire their own lawyer to do an investigation. I mean, talk about the exact same thing as the internal, you know, like the cops having their uh, internal review and then finding that the cops did absolutely nothing wrong. It's just, it's too cute. The timing cannot be better. And again, I'll link to this story in the show notes so you can read it for yourself. But it just shows you the shameful hypocrisy that is ever present in all of these political maneuvers, especially when we're talking about the Democrats. All right, next up, let's talk about a Twitter trend that was going all over and had a ton of articles written about it. I'm sure you guys saw this trending. I'm sure it pissed you off as it did me. But it's this hypothetical that a woman posted. And I don't even, I'm not even going to mention her name because I, I just, it's so stupid that it's 
I don't want to give her any more press. But she posted this hypothetical saying, man, how different would the world be if men all had a 9 p.m. curfew? How would your world be different? And asked all the ladies how their world would be different. So predictably, you get all the women saying, oh, my God. Not all the women. I don't want to. I don't want to disparage all the women. I know our women uh, that listen to this show and actually have enlightened viewpoints wouldn't buy into this complete claptrap. But let's say the feminists, the third wave feminists in the world, and people that are now bought into the new co-opted Me Too movement, weighed in with all their thoughts with things like, "I wouldn't be scared to open my door. I'd be able to walk down the street. I'd be able to go shopping. I'd be able to go to. I'd be able to do this. I'd be able to do that. Blah, 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 on and on and on and on." Because obviously, men are evil, all men are evil, and thus, because of the actions from a tiny, minuscule part of the population, which might like to sexually accost women uh, or commit crime, because of that minuscule amount of the population. Now, these people would argue that all men should have a 9 p.m. curfew. Meanwhile, I mean, if we're talking hypotheticals, I would hypothetically say that, well, if we put all women in curfew at 9 p.m., we'd have, have the same solution, right? I mean, women would stay out of the public and then you'd have no these problems at all, right? Everybody wins. <laughs> in fact, here's the argument that I was going to make against this because it's just, again, it's so stupid. It's so self-involved and short-sighted concentrating just on this social justice horseshit. Let me, let me tell you. What would happen if all men had to be in bed by 9 p.m.? Well, number one, you'd see a lot more crime because guess what? No one's following that stupid fucking idea. And the people who are out committing crimes, just like with gun legislation, they're not going to follow your curfew. They're going to be out. And in fact, they'll probably have a field day because there's not going to be any male cops out to stop them either, will there? No, there probably won't. Because, you know, most of your police officers are male. What happens if you have a fire after 9 p.m.? Because virtually every one of your firefighters is a male. And no, that's not sexism. That's because you have to carry heavy shit up many flights of stands, many flights of stands, many flights of stairs over and over again. And fire hoses are heavy as fuck. And picking people up that you need to throw down or carry out a building is heavy as fuck. And it's not easy. So there you go. So you got no cops. Or you have, let's say you cut your police force by 80%. You got your firefighters cut down by 95%. Let's say uh, war breaks out. Well, there you go. You got you got your military uh, completely destroyed. That's gone. How about just some simpler things, guys? How about you'd have uh, your energy cut by quite a bit? Because if you don't have people actually out there working oil rigs, because they got to be in bed by nine, working around the clock. How about the people that are in the coal mines? How about the people that are doing the dangerous jobs? How about the people that are working nights uh, in any career? Because you know what? Those are vastly men. Do you enjoy having st- uh, products in your stores? Do you like it when you go to a store in the morning and there's actually fucking cans of food on the shelf? Because odds are a man drove that food to that store overnight. Because there's vastly more men that are long haul truckers as well. How about. Getting those uh, those shelves stocked. Because you know who does that too? Yes, men do that. Men are vastly the ones, overarchingly, the ones who are sitting up at night stocking heavy cans and taking giant boxes and shoving them around on forklifts to make sure that you have your fucking products that you need in the morning to put on your face and look great. 
I mean, never mind all of that, though, right? How about FedEx? You like using FedEx? You like using UPS? Do you like things that getting it? You like Amazon Prime? Well, you know the people that ship all that shit? That's, that's also men. Just such a stupid, stupid, asinine thing to say. And again, what more do we need to say about the people that are saying this? They're complete authoritarians. They want to control everyone and everything. And you don't think that it's, it's, it's funny because they go, okay, well, you know, this is just the men. Well, yeah, it won't be the men for long. Then it'll be something else. And it's like when you have this mindset, when you have this controlling mindset that you know the best way for everything, it's always unbelievably short-sighted. It's always unbelievably self-focused. So it's not going to just be men. It's going to be anybody quickly that falls on the wrong side of what you want, of you feeling wronged in any way, shape, or form. Well, now that person's got to be put in the gulag. Well, now what's the curfew on that? What's the curfew on people who, uh, who look at you the wrong way on the subway? Just these sort of hypotheticals that love, they love the Huffington Post can't, can't retweet them enough to blow them up. They mean nothing. They say nothing. It's just women that want to demonize men, finding a brand new platform with which to do it. And it's easily and happily parroted by all of these women who presume that all of the ills that have befallen them in life are at the hands of men. Which is just utter and complete bullshit. And I'm just unbelievably sick of it. But I'll tell you what I'm not sick of, guys. I'm not sick of actual studies being done into women in STEM programs. You know, science, engineering, mathematics. I'm not sure what the T stands for. <laughs> Technology, probably. Yeah. But the study came out and it was, it was actually run by a uh, Department of Veteran Affairs researcher named Aaron Riley. And... It's titled The Relationship Among Stigma, Consciousness, Perfectionism, and Mental Health in Retaining Women in STEM. And it was published in the newest uh, issue of Career or the Journal of Career Development. And basically what it looked at is to try to figure out why there's a mass exodus of women from STEM. And this is not based upon sexism is the, the finding of this. It's not based upon discrimination. You, just, you know what it's actually based on? Well, it's based upon women leaving because overarchingly, they're depressed in that career. So let me break down this study. Uh, they investigated, they collected data from 249 women working in STEM who had spent nearly 12 years in the field. They were asked to gauge their satisfaction working, whether they had any intention to leave, if they felt signs of depression, and uh, which the re- researchers hypothesized would have a strong impact on their intent to leave. Now, again, I, have a, I do have a bit of problem with that personally because it's like any of these studies where if the researchers are hypothesizing, there's a problem. You know, it's like a lot of these sexual assault, uh, rape culture things where they find the different numbers of women that say, you know, they're like one in X, one in X have been assaulted kind of thing, you know, tying into this 9 p.m. curfew. And um, what ends up happening is that a lot of these papers are just based upon the researchers extrapolating their own conclusions from people saying one thing. And then they say, well, it probably led to this. But Anyway, in regards to this, let me uh, let me get a little bit out here more, and then we'll we'll talk about. It. 
So the researchers acknowledged they could not clinically diagnose any interviewees with depression. Respondents were asked whether they felt nervous, felt so down nothing could cheer them up, or felt downhearted and blue during the preceding month, I guess before they left the, the STEM program. And what they concluded was that women with higher levels of depression and perfectionistic discrepancy reported greater levels of intent to leave their current job. Depression was a consistent predictor of John outcome variables. And the way that this has been played out is that a different study by the Colorado School of Mines professor, Greg Rolofson, who talked to 21 female students who started out as STEM majors, he found out that one third of them left because they wanted to get into fields that involved more social responsibility. He says, women in engineering are more motivated by helping others and engineering education uh, needs to provide more examples of engineering as a helping profession. So again, there's some, there's some issues with this. Um, when you do, like I said, when you do have just a broad thing of saying, are you depressed? And then you've got this follow-up study by this guy who tracked 21 female students. That's a tiny, tiny, tiny sample size. But when you combine the two of them, you say, okay, you can at least take a guess at what's happening here. And that's that if you've got all these women leaving, that there is probably some sort of factor involved as far as basic drives, as far as basic happiness levels, doing jobs that are you know, I mean, we're talking about a lot of STEM careers. It is just crunching numbers. It's sitting down. It's very straightforward. It's you, it's your computer, or it's you and it's your lab. And yeah, you may not feel as though it's rewarding in the way that, say, being a teacher would be, being a social worker would be, being uh, in a position where you're getting emotional reward. Whereas, you know, we talk about the difference between men and women, which I I personally do believe are, are a thing. I believe that women, men, evolution, you know, we've evolved differently. We've got different brains. That's just a fact. The chemistry is different. The way we look at the world is very different. And the things that bring us happiness are different. And when you've got a career in which men say, okay, well, I'm a man. Um, you know, maybe during my career, if I get a, a, a cluster of math problems during a day and I get through one of them, I feel exalted. Meanwhile, what have I actually accomplished in the grander scheme of helping people? Who knows? You know, it's just a kind of working way. I did this thing today. Thus, I have proven my existence. I am man and I will move forward. Uh, you know, we're, we're simple creatures. Whereas women may look at things like, you know, they look at a lot of these careers, you know, going to a, an engineering plant every day. And, you know, like I mentioned oil rigs way earlier in the podcast, going to an oil rig every day and making sure that the machinery software is updated may not be your idea of fulfilling. And when you've got this, you know, this different mental state, you have this uh, different mental chemistry that says, I want something more fulfilling. I want to feel as though I am making a difference in society, as though I'm helping people. I want something that is more emotionally rewarding. Well, it makes sense that you might want to leave and try something different. And that's not discrimination. That's just men and women choosing different things. So while you can't take a ton of this study for, for a face value and say it de facto proves X, Y, or Z, it is an interesting little snippet to, to take note of. Um, what I do wonder is if they had asked men in STEM fields how they felt, if they were depressed or not, what their answer would be. Because again, like I said, even for men, 
I mean, we all saw Office Space, right? If you're sitting in a, if you're sitting in a cubicle and somebody takes your stapler, you know, you feel upset about them taking your stapler. It's like you know, you do get into the cycle. And even me in my job, you know, I've got some clients that are more involved with uh, social issues, and you know, so I can feel some reward. But you know, even in my career, I get, I go, God damn it, you know, what I, what I accomplished today? <laughs> did I, did I really make a difference? But you know, I would, I would guess that some of the men in those programs are are depressed too. The question, I guess, is whether or not they leave. Because I think a lot of men may be less inclined to leave those professions once they're in them, just because men tend to be a little bit more um, technical in their thought process, a little bit more practical in saying, well, I've put in this many years. I don't want to sacrifice at this point. I've got this pension. I've got this family, where women might be actually willing to make that risk uh, and in order to achieve that emotional state of happiness where men might not. Deep thoughts, my friends, on this episode. I don't know how the hell this episode went 45 minutes. <laughs> I didn't know. It doesn't feel like I talk like talked about much of anything. Well, hopefully you enjoyed it anyway, my lovely listeners. And uh, <laughs> we'll see. Maybe the next episode, will, I'll feel a little better about it. See, I'm already stemming myself out of here. I, I don't feel. Now I'm depressed because I don't feel like this episode was emotionally rewarding to me. God damn it. I have to go outside and kiss an orphan on the mouth. All right. Anyway, that's going to do it. So, guys, remember to listen to Mark on Mondays with his in-depth interviews with leaders of the libertarian movement. Of course, listen to our Candidates of Liberty show, which will continue to run through the midterms. We've got a few more shows slated to come up on Tuesdays. We may go Tuesday, Thursday, but uh, we'll see. It's just a matter of time at this point. A race against time, Marty. And, uh, of course... Listen to John Odie Odermatt on Fridays, the Felony Fridays, looking at the uh, ironically named criminal justice system. So that's going to do it, guys. I'm Brian McWilliams. This is Lions of Liberty's Electric Liberty Land, and I want to remind you to always stay plugged into liberty.